Welcome to the Evolved Athlete Podcast, where the best in the business bring you the best in fitness, nutrition, wellness, and overall, making you the best athlete of all time. We're host Coach P and his fellow coaches, Kayla, Destiny, Jen, and Ian, take you on a path to greatness. Let's get on with our guest and let's have a great time. Let's roll. Welcome back, y'all, to the Evolved Athlete Podcast. I have the absolute pleasure of introducing to you all the brand new, awesome colleague that I have and brand new member of the team here at Evolve. He is a very, very well-versed power lifter. He is a badass firefighter, and he is a straight-up awesome dude that does an actual really cool impression of Smeagol. We'll have to hear it from him sometime. Uh, but he's an absolute pleasure to talk with him, you know, just shot the shit with shit with him here. On our own little athlete orientation, I'd like to welcome Mario D'Amico to the Evolve team. What up, dude? Really, really pumped to have you on the podcast and the Evolve team. How do you feel? Uh, I feel good, man. I think this is uh, actually a really fun way to spend a Friday night nowadays. You know, it was oh, cool, man. Pretty, pretty sweet. Uh, I mean, I've been long distance with my best friends for at least six, seven years now. I'm even long distance with my fiance um, oftentimes, which is a pain in the butt. Um, hopefully, that, that won't be for long. Um, and so this is actually a real cool thing to do. You know, every now and then I'll, I'll be on my, with my best friend on FaceTime and we'll watch a movie while he's got the kids. <laughs> It'll be a good time to shoot the shit. But Mario, I'm all pumped to hear all about you, my man. Where did you come from? What is your story? How did you get into powerlifting? You know, how did you get the jack guns? You know, let's dial it all the way back, my man. Tell, tell the world a little bit about yourself. Yeah, man. So I definitely uh, have had a pretty interesting journey so far. Um, and how, you know, fitness was a big focal point in my life and how that I kind of got into the more, um, powerlifting niche, um, over the years. Um, honestly, dude, a lot of it started, um, you know, I was like a super skinny ass kid growing up, um, even getting into high school football, you know, I played outside linebacker in my junior year. I was like 155 and one of my best friends who was a senior above me was like, dude, we got to get you bigger. Like you just, you can't be that small. And I'm like, yeah, no, you're right. I was just like a string bean. Um, and I remember that off season after my junior year, uh, we, that was like my first, like really training hard. Um, I gained 30 pounds, got up to like one, my senior year. Um, but it was interesting because that was finally when I started that part and I started getting those like bodily changes and people started noticing it was like oh this this like feels really good and like the i was always really self-conscious as a kid like i got fucked with from like neighborhood kids and like oh boy sorry i think maybe a lot of us went through or didn't right um but it was like the first time i really felt like my worthiness half um, increasing and especially like you know as a young man in high school navigating the world um Oh, growing pains, boy meets world. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah. Um, it was a really interesting time. I think that kind of sparked um, a lot of stuff in me because it was at that point that I really liked, you know, the heavy lifting, the strength training. Um, you know, getting a more muscular physique was obviously cool and a great um, side effect of that. But that didn't really do it for me as much as, you know, lifting heavy and like the intensity with the guys in the weight room like that, like that energy was so, um, hard to match anywhere else. Um, so I started going to, um, University of Akron for undergrad, um, went into X-Phys 
And one of uh, my bosses there, he was like my GA, I think, was getting into powerlifting. I've always wanted to do it, but I didn't know how. I didn't really know what anything meant. Like going on, I think it was like um, powerliftingwatch.org. It was like a really shoddy site, very poorly put together, but you know, it was really awesome to look through. But I didn't know how to get into it. Um, so when I finally did, that's when I started running like Jim Willers 531 with this dude. And I ended up being like pretty strong, like for my size. Uh, I think I had my first meet in 2012. Um, I think I total was like 13, 15, maybe. Um, and that's when I, I caught the bug there and really started like they pretty much consumed my life, even to an unhealthy standpoint for a while. <laughs> um, where I started getting some more like the extreme side with like the multi-pilot thing. Um, and that was, I think it was around 2016. I got sponsored by Elite FTS because I was driving down there from Cleveland. Oh, wow. um, I literally drive two and a half hours to go train, get my ass kicked for two or three hours and drive all the way back, um, like a lot. And being surrounded by those guys, um, you know, some of the best slippers in the world, especially when we had our like, um, um, they call it like the UGS sessions, like the underground strength sessions, where you know these guys are squatting 800 raw for like two or three reps. Like I'm in, in the grand of the powerlifting world, I wasn't that strong. You know what I mean? That was um, compared to some of the other guys, it was just mind-boggling. So when I got sponsored by them, things that kicked up another notch. Um, but it was pretty much like a year. I graduated in 2015 from Akron with my bachelor's in next phase. Um, still really having the powerlifting game. And then it was like 2017. I started um, like paramedic school. I went to the fire academy where things were just becoming too much. So me and LFTS, like we started, started, we parted ways. Um, and I think it was like August of 2017. Um, I went back to raw, I competed, um, and had like a pretty good total. But after that, I was just like, this just isn't doing it for me anymore. And, like my body was hurting. I was very like, um, I was partying a lot too. I was, I really just kind of killing myself from multiple angles. Um, so for about like six months, I didn't even look at a gym, I didn't train at all. I was just bartending my way through medic school. Um, and then. My fiance and I at the time moved to Columbus, which was awesome for powerlifting. It's like the Mecca of powerlifting. So I got back into that. Um, did a, a couple more meets, maybe. And then my last one was uh, was in June of 21. Um, and at that point, I was just like, this just isn't for me anymore. It's not doing anything for me. Um, I really realized why I got into it. Um, I think I just had like a pretty low self-esteem damaged ego and that was giving me you know some sense of self-worth um and once i realized that i was like i immediately stopped caring i'm like i have no desire to do this anymore um i definitely appreciated that time met a lot of really awesome people i learned an absolute ton um, around strength training um but that was when I finally like walked away. Like my body, thankfully, had no catastrophic injuries. Started getting into you know, like, you know, we're chanting about more hypertrophy style training, um, even some functional stuff. Just trying to, like you said it as well, the longevity thing. Yeah, I'm like, I don't care if I can, you know, squat 
this much weight if I can't walk by the time I'm 30. Like that's just, <laughs> that doesn't really stay worth it to me. Um, and it was kind of funny like that, like, so like 2020 to that 2021-22 era was really interesting, not even for like the fitness part of my life, but a lot of really radical personal life changes and challenges that I started going through. Um, so it was kind of funny seeing how those were kind of interwoven into each other. Um, and just how much like the physique, lifestyle, the strength, lifestyle, whatever, mirrored back to me a lot of insecurities and mirrored back a lot of, like I said, those self-worth issues where, um, again, I'm grateful for what my body was able to do. I think it's really cool that I was able to do what I did, but I was trying to learn how to love myself internally now and not need the external stuff. Like, oh, like what people would say, oh, you're so strong or, oh, you're getting big. I'm like, oh, that feels good. But like nothing was coming from the inside. Like I had nothing internally telling me how much I love myself. So that was where things kind of took a turn for me um, was around that time period. I love how you brought up how fitness was like the catalyst for you. And I see this in so many people, including myself. Fitness always seems to be the catalyst into self-development into figuring out, hey, here's this thing where I'm put in front of a piece of iron and it's heavy as hell. And that one piece of iron is going to put a load and a stress on me when I try to lift it. And when you apply that into every aspect of life, okay, how do you get over it? You got to lift it. You got to struggle through, but eventually you get stronger. And it just relates so much to all the shit we go through when we're trying to find ourselves, when it's and then we usually, I had a discussion in class with my students. It happens right when you start to get into high school and college. You know, you start to finally get away from mom and dad. You get away from your family. You start to really start to figure out, oh, I have my own voice. And there's shit that I know I need to deal with. What better way than to adopt something that challenges you and puts you on your ass, that teaches you the only way through is to get stronger and to figure things out. And so it's it's wild that you had a very, very similar story to myself. You know, I look back and that's kind of how I got better and became a better version of myself and built my own self worth. That was the same thing. Ugly Duckley syndrome. I, I was Harry Potter until I was 14. <laughs> Huge ass glasses. I mean, I, I, mean I, I still make nerdy jokes, hey, but the nerds win always. <laughs> ask, my, wrong. Not, ask my fiance. I got the sexy dance coaches like that. After yeah. <laughs> where she looks at me and makes fun of me all the time. She's like, Chris, you're such a nerd. She's like, Did you ever think you were going to marry a nerd when you're in high school? She said, Fuck no. <laughs> Here we go. But, but I love that side of your story, my man. And so we, you and I could definitely, re- you know, connect on that. That I know another, a lot, a lot of other people can too. As mm-hmm. you know, it teaches you just how to endure. So as you were going through and you got to that point now where, you know, powerlifting is not behind you, but no longer something you're going to be doing, you know, professionally speaking, you know, tell us more about how your paramedic side now and being a firefighter, what made you decide to pursue that outside? I mean, I know you're pursuing coaching now and you're getting full-time coaching, which is amazing. And we're lucky to have you and I know you're going to do well. Um, But what inspired you to get into that realm? And then how did that how is it now that that relates to you becoming the better version of yourself? What are some of the challenges that you went through as you were going through that part of your career? Um, so it's actually funny. I initially went to Akron for like ex-phys. Um, I was a terrible student in high school. Like 
not good at all. Um, I just didn't care at all. So I go into undergrad and I go to my first A&P class and I'm like, <laughs> I am not doing this. Like this is, no, don't want to put in any effort at all. Um, and the girl I was dating at the time, her brother was in the fire academy. He's like, dude, you should be a fireman. I'm like, okay. So I started doing like a two-year degree at Akron for I think it was like firing the science or whatever. But I was like, you know, the after like a year, maybe six months to a year of doing that, I was like, I really wanted like a bachelor's and they didn't have a program linked to that yet. So after I kind of grew up a little bit, a little bit, like not a lot, but enough to like put in some effort, um, I switched back to X-Fizz. So I finished out my undergrad. And as soon as I graduated, I signed up for the fire academy um, and paramedic school. So X-Fizz, like the fitness stuff actually helped me so much um, going into the fire academy. Um, like the, my nickname there was Mongo because I was just like a big like meat head. Um, but it was actually then like, like, yeah, being big and strong is great, but like being big and strong and, um, having muscles that aren't inefficient that can actually like use oxygen. I'm like, Oh, we did our first like breast down drill where you literally are full gear out there and they make you walk around the grounds until your bottle runs out. Um, you know, isn't this like up some ladders? It's not super hard, but then. It was also August, so it was like super hot. And I think, you know, bottle is supposed to last 30 minutes. Granted, that's not contributing for like work time. But like I was done with my bottle in like 15 minutes. And that was just from walking. Holy sh I wasn't doing anything but walking. That, that's a problem. Um, so even then I was still in the power thing phase, but I started taking into account like GPP and being more cardiovascularly fit. Right. Which that, you know, opened up my eyes a lot. And then going into paramedic school, um, having so much of that background, how like medic school to me, like everyone said how hard it was. And, like it really wasn't that hard for me. Like, it was time consuming. Um, but like I said, I was partying my way through it. Like I was uh, having a great time and it just uh, was relatively, it just made sense to me, I think, more. Um, However, it was then, you know, getting into the fire service where, you know, other people rely on you, you know, not to be like dramatic, but everyone says like, this guy could be the one saving my life. Um, does that happen often? Probably not. But when it does happen, you don't want to be like gassed out if the guy you're inside, you know, this house with goes down. Um, so it kind of allowed me, because our thing is a pretty selfish sport. It's all about you and your numbers and all of your stuff. That kind of made me part of something bigger than me. We're like, okay, I can still do this stuff, but not other people matter. The people, you know, there are victims, like they matter. I have to, I have to be physically fit for other people. Um, so that was when I kind of started expanding myself in that way, um, especially like career wise, because it was very much a team uh, sport. Um, and again, people have relied on you in really shitty situations, um, especially when it's like, you know, I, don't, I feel like I don't really hear much people like, no matter how many fires you've been in, you still kind of get that little like, oof, all right, like, let's hope nothing goes wrong because if shit hits the fan, who do you have with you? Um, and I'm lucky, you know, where I work now, 
you know, this is probably the department with the most like studs I've ever worked at. Like every shift, there's multiple crews going out, doing stuff together, running circus. Like us just literally finding ways to torture ourselves. Um, and there's like that camaraderie and suffering together. Right. Uh, so seeing that shift was pretty cool of, again, just being a part of something that was bigger than me and made me, it forced me to do um, stuff that was actually more healthy for me in the long run, if that makes sense. I love that, man, especially the camaraderie aspect. And it makes more and more sense now how you've gotten into the mental health aspect of helping men um, traverse those challenges. And, you know, you see that a lot with, you know, ROTC guys. You see that in Army guys. You know, you see that in police officers. I definitely see that a lot when I do the research with cadets. Like, they, they're they going through hell together. Um, and that really helps them be able to get through. And so, I mean, that's why Band of Brothers was such an awesome book and awesome series to watch because that's the shit that they went through to get through those really, really hard times. Um, and so I really appreciate you diving in and illustrating that for others to see that, you know, that's what allows people to be successful and really to come together. Um, I would love for you now to, let's dive in a little bit to what are some of the challenges that you had when it came to mental health you know what are some of the things that you went through what has inspired you now to be a mental health advocate and what does that mean what does that look like you know is it a is it a group that you're running are you coaching others are you getting together with guys you know how how did you get through that you know because i know there's been times i've gone through in my own life where i'm just like shit i need to be or i need to get better at communicating i need to have a little bit more self-confidence stop fall stop you know facing not facing the shadow as it were if you've ever listened to connor Beaton and man talks and how he talks about you know every man has some shadow um and then even you know there's another i forget his name right now his name's lost on me he has another podcast called school of greatness he wrote a book that you know all all guys wear masks you know and that their true self is behind them and problems with vulnerability and you know we we live in this time now where mental health is such a prominent issue in so many people and guys and girls alike. And, you know, when we're coaching a lot of the times, you know, I've got experiences that I've coached, I've actually done a lot more mental health coaching and strategizing to build better habits and to overcome stress more than I've actually taught someone how to do a bench press properly. (laughs) So, you know, what, what has been your experience? What allowed you to become, or what, you know, put you in a situation where you start to become more passionate for becoming that mental health advocate for guys. Yeah, it was, uh, that was definitely where my journey became interesting. Um, it was August of 2020. I was in a long-term relationship. We were newly married, like only four months of married, but we're together like eight and a half years. Um, and it was at the end of August where she found out that I was cheating on her. Like the whole, the whole time we were together. Like, so I got outed. Um, and it was, you know, a, a blessing for me, as awful as it was. Um, that was when I came clean with everything. Um, also, that summer was when, like, like I said, I partied a lot. I had really heavy drug use that summer. Um, I was going to the roof, just a lot of escapism, like, constantly. I was very, very, um, very unhappy, loss of self-loathing. Like it was just really, really dark time in my life. And then that all came to surface. It was like, okay, um, I have, what I saw was two options was either get like, cause at that time I was still, I was in therapy. 
I've been in therapy for a year at that point, but I was lying in therapy, which is pointless. Uh, it doesn't help anything. Um, and I'm like, I either need like aggressive treatment and to be removed from my environment entirely, um, or I'm going to go down the other road of just pushing all of that dysfunctional um, stuff even harder. And I chose option A to get help. Um, so I, there's a center in Maryland outside of Baltimore called Center of Excellence is for firemen only. Uh, called them, checked myself into rehab. I just started a new job at a fire department six weeks earlier. So I had to go tell them that day, um, hey, by the way, I have a flight in three hours to Maryland. I'm going to rehab. And they're like, okay, holy shit. Like, just go get better. Um, so I was there for 35 days. Um, and that was the best thing I've ever done for myself. Um, because no matter all the things that I was doing, the mistakes I was making is over and over and over again for almost a decade. I'm like, why can't I just not do this? Like, why am I this? Um, and it was there that I finally started to learn. I mean, it was very aggressive treatments. Um, you know, six to eight hours of therapy, almost six to, six to seven days a week, the whole time you're there. Um, but it was really good. I mean, they just like dove you in head first. And I learned that was when I had kind of like my, my flip moment or my aha, the light bulb, the epiphany, whatever you want to awakening, whatever you want to call it. That's when I, oh, I see how these things from when I was younger and things I've gone through you know, manifested into these dysfunctional behaviors and habits and patterns right. um, over the span of 28 years. Um, and that was in that, that thing, there's like 35 other guys at the uh, facility with me. And it was there that I learned like the power of vulnerability where, you know, when we're in this environment, we're in, everyone there's a rock bottom. <laughs> to some extent, we're all not having a great time outside of here, right? right? But seeing guys when, you know, I would open up and just be, it was finally, I could just be honest and be who I was. Even if it was someone I didn't like, I was finally, the masks were off. I was, it was like Voldemort under the train station bench, like a little crusty up little baby. That was, <laughs> that was me. You know what I mean? It's a good way to put that. Yeah, that was, I was just like a, a raw little baby, like just looking for answers and seeing, you know, if I would open up and be really honest, all, all of a sudden other guys were like, oh shit, he's still there. Okay. Then they would do it. And then he would do it. And you watch the domino effect around the room. And, you know, by the end of it, you're like, I'm in this big pink cloud of vulnerability and acceptance and judgment free. Um, it was almost intoxicating. It was, Great. I mean, it was literally a break from real life in that sense, because you know when I was there, I'm like, all right, cool. I think I think I figured it out. I'm good to go. And then I got back to the real world, and it was like, oh yeah, nobody fucking cares. <laughs> like no one cares. Um, and it was really, really eye opening because it was when I got home, that job that I had, I lost. I lost my wife. I lost the home I was living in. I like everything fell apart. I lost all of it. Um, and that was when things really started. That was when I realized, oh, this is beginning of the journey. This is the beginning of it. Like this is the, the, the uh, tip of the iceberg. Um, so 
over the next couple of years, uh, I got out in October 2020 and then, you know, started figuring some things out, bobbing and weaving, like just, okay, I'm like slowly peeling the layers back on myself, just more and more, like you said, kind of understanding the shadow side a little bit more. Um, and it was then where I really started to gain the compassion for other people, like actual compassion. Of, you know, if someone is, say, being a dick to me, or if someone just isn't getting something, or like, I'm like, oh, they're just operating in this unconscious way where this part of their mind, whether it's their ego, or is all they're doing is they what they think they should to keep them safe and operate through the world. Right. I did the same thing. Even though it was awful shit, I was looking for love, essentially. I was looking for ways to feel love because I couldn't love myself, right? So it was then where I started getting compassion for people and like, hey, this guy is really struggling. If he's being a dick, why is he being a dick? Maybe he just needs to be heard because he's a dick all the time, which is safe for him because then he doesn't have to let anybody in. So it was was in those moments where I started having a more like gentle curiosity around people, having that compassion, um, which I think will really open me up to the mental health side of stuff because there's so much stigma and it's like we're, especially as men, so deeply programmed to operate a certain way and showing emotions, crying, um, admitting when you're struggling is... Like even still sometimes as open as I am, still sometimes there's like that thing in the back of my head, like you're being too much. Like just stop. Just don't you know, it doesn't be that deep or whatever, you know, bullshit bird is trying to tell you over here. Um there's still something I'm working working through. Um so the mental health journey from there is only it's like I can explain it as once you detangle one note, there's 10 more behind that one. And then those have 10 behind them. And that's why I finally was able to accept this is likely a lifelong journey. There is no destination to it. Um, have some compassionate grace for myself. Um, and it was almost like, because I, I didn't have any compassion or love for myself, but I finally started getting it when I was able to have it for others. I'm like, why don't I just do that for me? And I remember the day I first actually felt a shred of self-love. It's probably last year. I came home from a hike with my dogs and I had a really, um, really profound day the day before. Like I, I figured out this really big thing for me personally. I got home from this hike and I'm sitting at the counter with uh, my girlfriend, Kelly, and I just start sobbing. Like, you were like full body, like just jumping. She's like, like, are you okay? What's wrong? I'm like, I think I'm finally knowing, I am finally learning how to love myself. And like, I actually felt it. Like I've said it, I didn't embody it. Right. I didn't know how to. And I, when I started feeling that, um, was a massive turning point um, because then I was able to even dig deeper with stuff because if you don't love yourself and you're trying to dig through all this muck and crap, you're going to have a really rough time. Right. And be more likely to continue to get escapism and not face it at all. Yep. Um, so yeah, man, that was when I think it was last September, um, 
I had another like epiphany type moments where I'm like, why I don't want guys to have to go to rehab to feel a sense of community where they can be open and vulnerable um, and be themselves without being judged. So I'm like, me and a buddy of mine were talking about all of this, having one of these conversations. We're like, I was kind of talking to them. I feel like I need to start something. Just have guys meet up and talk. So we just started doing it every other week or like twice a month. We would meet up for hikes and just talk. Oh. And then, yeah, it was awesome. There was no structure behind it. So it was kind of, um, you know, still as infancy. Um, but the really powerful thing that I learned once the weather got cold, I'm like, shit, where are we going to do this at? So I'm like, screw it. I just had guys come over in my basement and we would sit in a circle and talk. And I realized this, the circle, sitting in a circle, like looking at each other, making eye contact instead of walking was 10 times more efficient to allow the guys to feel safe. Because as you see, like new guys coming into the group, they had come down, they're obviously nervous. So I have no idea what to expect. Oh. Their nose is sweating. They're sitting there all up tight. <laughs> Um, and I have a really good group of friends and, you know, the guys I surround myself with, we are, we are all very much like this. So, and a lot of us are bigger and so lifting waist and tatted up and we don't look the part that you would expect, but I think that's where it's cool where so many guys are like, yeah, I come into this group. There's a bunch of meatheads that are all tatted up. <laughs> and they're like crying and like opening up and like cracking their hearts open and talking about really challenging shit. And you see them just, you kind of see them settle into their seat. Now they're getting a little cold. They're not like sweating and like all nervous. And then they start. I thought I was the only guy who felt this way. I can't believe you. Like, because everyone is sharing something. We all have so much learned from each other. Um, where I was like, wow, most of us just want to be heard. <laughs> and listen to and be honest with who we are and not have that mask on to survive in whatever situation or the world is this exhausting like being being inauthentic and we don't do it on purpose most of the time um is exhausting and that's what causes a lot of that escapism it's funny that you said the exhaustion card here you know there's a couple interviews I saw with Jim Carrey of all people who talks about that very same thing. He's like, you know, the worst thing about it is he's like, I'm an actor by profession, but for much of my life, I have been acting. And he said it like in a metaphorical way to where he's just like, I put on this face that you see that's happy-go-lucky, fun, always cracking jokes with people, but deep down, I'm a mess. I'm tired, like I'm exhausted, I'm not myself. And it just causes absolute true depression, which is so different than just sadness, which is a simple state of being at that certain time. And I was like, that's just deep. Wow. And I really appreciate you being open, Mario, because not people, not many people do that when that's exactly what they need to do to start the process of becoming that next version, being honest with themselves, saying, I need help. I need to talk this shit through. You know, guys need that. And I think one of the biggest problems in our society today is so many men think that that's frowned upon. You know, we all got to be tough. We all got to be, you know, solid rocks, which is true. We all should be resilient towards stress. And, you know, you could talk about guys and girls all day long. It's like, yeah, men are driven individuals who want to be leaders, who want to go and get the objective. But at the same time, there's this miscommunication where that means that we can't show vulnerability, can't show emotion. That's the biggest problem. I think so many dudes lash out 
so many people have relationship problems or have marriages go sour or have conflict at work because they don't mess, they don't work through their shit. They don't allow themselves to be vulnerable and to be able to do the necessary things to be what they need to be inside. And so it's like, I think all guys have been learning this lesson more and more lately. You know, I, I finally made that discovery with myself. You know, it got to a point where I had that breaking point, which is like, I got to just be myself and let that be okay. You know, we can, I was going to ask you this question in the orientation. One of my favorite ways to get to know people is to ask them, what was one of your favorite movies or video games growing up? Because it can really tell you a lot about a person. And I'll tell you mine real quick. And so mine is Final Fantasy VII. Have you ever heard of that game or played that game? Yeah. And the reason why that's my favorite game of all time still is, and I'm actually playing the remake again. <laughs> uh, it's, my, it's my little celebration uh, to have some free time back in my life now. But the main reason why, as a kid, back in 1997, why I fell in love with that game, if I remember when I was at that age, glasses on, I was a nerdy kid, you know, I wanted to be liked, you know, as everybody else does. You know, they go through that, go through those growing pains. And, you know, I had no idea how to talk to girls. And so, and I was always afraid to show that nerdy side of myself. And it kind of, you know, followed me for a very long time with that to where I was always afraid to show that side and thought I had to change and be what other people wanted me to be. You know, maybe that's the curse of being the first child and being the oldest boy um, who, you know, wanted to do exactly what mom and dad said and held that standard so high for it. Love my parents. Yeah. But, you know, I still kind of fall back to that sometimes. I'm just like, I do what mom and dad wanted me to do? Oh, wait, no, no, no. What What is it that Chris wants to do? Is the question I had to start asking myself. So anyway, Final Fantasy VII was a story about a boy named Cloud Strife that just wants to be a hero. You know, he wants to be like the great Sephiroth. He was the legendary war hero who's badass villain <laughs> if you play the game. But once you start to learn about the story, you see that Cloud is a dick at the beginning of the story. He's a complete jerk. You know, he's putting on this weird, oh, I'm cool, and I'm, I'm putting on a facade. When really you start to figure out that, okay, where is Cloud in all of this? Because then the whole story goes is, you know, Sephiroth tries to start to poke holes into him and saying, oh, you're not real. You're just a puppet. You're all these things. Like, you're just a clone of me and all this stuff. And it starts to screw with you. You're just like, wait a minute. Cloud's a badass and I was falling in love with him in the story. Why is he a jerk now? What's going on? You know, what are all of these things? And then when you actually figure out the story and I'm spoiler alert, you know, I don't want to spoil it. Do, do you know that? Do you know where I'm going with this? Do you know the story? I never, I never played it myself. Okay, and so the story ends up being is you you figure out the truth that Cloud has lied the entire time, but didn't actually know that he was lying. And so the whole story came down to five years prior to where Cloud came up to Sephiroth. Sephiroth was told the truth about his past. It drove him crazy to where he burned down Cloud's entire hometown. And so and when Cloud's telling the story in the beginning of the game, he was saying, and I faced off against him, and I never saw him again. That actually never happened. And so you go through, and when you get back to that city halfway through the game, Sephiroth starts playing mind tricks on you and shows that a different guy was there with completely different hair color and everything and started to say that Cloud was never there at all. And so there, a few things happen, you know, I'll avoid the nerdiness to where it, you start to say, like, well, what the fuck? What happened to Cloud? Like, where was he all this time? And then, you know, some crazy shit happens. Cloud loses his mind. It goes crazy a little bit. And then his love interest in the story, who is his childhood sweetheart, 
tries to save him and starts to put his mind and bases back together. And so they go through like this, this time warp thing where they start to go through his memories and see what really happened at that time when Sephiroth burned down the hometown. And so, and you actually figure out that what ended up happening was, is it was a different guy who fought against Sephiroth during that time. It wasn't Cloud. And so you see this guy named Zack and Zack was the hero. Zack was the happy-go-lucky, the, you know, the stereotypical Superman, right? But Sephiroth beats the shit out of him. And so, but Tifa, she's the love interest, is like, but someone saved my life there, but it wasn't Zack. And all of a sudden, you hear Cloud, who's kind of like in a trance right now, saying, I saw the whole thing. And you start, and you you like, the, the music starts to blare in the, in the game, and you're like, what the hell is going on in the scene right now? And then all of a sudden, you see like the shadow silhouette with a helmet on, run over, fight teeth on the ground, picks her up and walks her over, and then you see him pick up the sword that was lying on the ground, and then he takes Zack's sword, and he runs up to the corridor to find Sephiroth, who's, you know, kind of beat up from the battle, and this guy with the helmet on stabs him in the back, and starts yelling at him, saying, you took everything from me, my home, my Tifa, you know, you, I looked up to you, like all these things. And then all of a sudden, the guy walks down, Sephiroth falls down. And then at this moment, you're like, what is going on? Because you can't see the guy's face. And then all of a sudden, the music starts to play. He takes off his helmet. It was Cloud. Cloud was there the entire time. And so what ended up happening was, is Cloud never made it as a soldier. He became... With the, the soldier was the whole designation for like the superhero who got the special juice who became like Captain America basically Cloud wasn't good enough for it when he left his hometown to join Shinra was the company and so instead he was just a little infantry man who just kind of escorted people around but he was there the entire time that all of that wouldn't that happened and so it's really really cool because when you watch the scene um, from the very beginning of the game you actually see him there. He's there, but he's not himself at that time. And so it's really, really cool. And so Tifa ends up, so you were the one who saved me. She's like, he's like, yes, I did. And then you come to find out Cloud was so afraid of who he was. He hid it the entire story. In a lot of ways, he kind of had his memories a little bit altered too, if you want to get into the sci-fi part of it. But he was so afraid of who he actually was, this corny, nerdy, geeky guy all he wanted to be was a hero, but he was afraid to show who he really was. And so the whole last quarter of the game, you're playing as the real Cloud, who is the hero now. And it's just, it's one of the best stories. And, you know, for, for guys who go through that shit when they're, when they're little, you know, that resonated so much with so many people. You can go on YouTube and find everyone tells the same exact story on why Final Fantasy VII is their favorite game. And it's for that reason. And so that's, Part of my, I know I got deep into work. I got really excited. <laughs> you know? That's that was, uh, that's always been my similar struggle. Is I've always kind of afraid to be myself. And you know, these past you know years through graduate school, these past decade has been a journey of self development so and starting to figure out. Nah, I'm fucking cool the way I am. It's like Dr. Perry is a cool dude. <laughs> so get done. You know, that's why I'm so into habitudes and teaching that at the universities because you know. When I went to those growing pains, I want to help other people see that too, of how to have better relationships, how to communicate, how to be vulnerable, be cool with talking about the shit that you're going through. And here's a great way 
to work through it. And so, Mara, I would love for you to, you know, you've been on this journey now for people who are experiencing challenge, who are experiencing mental health, from the things that you've learned, from the things that you've gone through, what are the things that you do now to keep your head on straight? If you were if you were trying to say how you coach people and what you coach your athletes and your clients to do, how do you help people navigate the struggles and challenges that come with mental health? I mean, it honestly just, it really all comes down to like opening up about it. Like you, and that's, that is why I do that. Like I do it for me first and foremost. Um, but like, it's like a lead by example when, if your coach is being super rude and like even, um, like getting on that same level as you, which it, that's always how it is. But sometimes that hierarchy can be like, you know, a misconstrued with people or it's like, Oh no, dude, like we're all going through shit. Yeah. You cannot work through it if you don't open up about it because when shit is swirling around in here and you have all these different uh, variables and things that are like impacting that you can get like really twisted up in your head <laughs> you know what i mean um even like the going crazy part like there were moments through a lot of this where like i legitimately thought i was going crazy and i had to have like people close to me like my girlfriend kelly um, my closest friends and i had to like tell them what was going on and it sounded nuts but then when i was finally bringing it from here out to here as you're speaking you're processing right when it's all up in here like yeah you can process stuff internally quietly sure but in my experience a lot of the heavier stuff this is like a really dangerous place to be trapped in right so i remember i think it was kelly who first told me when i'm like so it was really funny the 28 years going into rehab, I maybe, well, maybe I was a sensitive kid. So I cried a lot as a kid, as a young adult to an adult, um, man, I, in that really, that long-term relationship cried a handful of times, like wasn't very often. I didn't do it. I didn't express emotion in that way. When I started dating my girlfriend, Kelly, now, um, she was just an automatic immediate safe space for me just by being who she is. Um, cause she's incredible. Um, and just an amazing woman where now we've been together almost two years and I cry like all the time, <laughs> like, <laughs> all the time. but in the beginning it was like when I felt that safety with her, a lot of stuff was just coming up faster than I could even process it myself. And I would, I would share with her. I'm like, I feel weaker for saying this stuff to you. I don't feel like a man for sharing this with you. And all of those, you know, um, constructs I would share with her. This is like pulling teeth. Like I'm doing this with you and I'm so wildly uncomfortable. Yes. I'm afraid you're not going to view me as this partner or stoic partner who can hold it all together. And she's like, I trust you more. I think you're stronger because you're doing all this with me. I went through the same thing, dude. Yep. She's like, now that's like, now I see you fully. You're letting me see you fully. Now I trust you more. Now, like now I think you're like, you're more of a leader to me now for doing that. And then it was like that boom, like, oh, now the gears are shifting in my head where it's like, oh yeah, those thoughts aren't mine. 
That's what I was told. That's what society or movies or, you know, the dickhead bully on the playground or whatever it is, that none of that was actually me. Um, so to remind people, I guess this is my long-winded answer to say, there is strength in sharing your story. There is strength in emotionally expressing yourself because the only people that talk shit about it or might give you some judgment are only triggered by the strength that you have. Exactly. <laughs> like, wait, he's doing that? Oh, what, you know, whatever label they want to throw out or, you know, thing they want to say where it's like the people that matter or the people that like need to hear are always like, dude, thank you so much for doing that because by you doing that, they allowed me to do it with this person or with this person. It's like that, that power of permission. Yeah. Uh, so like even when it feels like you're going against every strand of your dna to share it with a friend or a partner or whoever just fight through that discomfort because i promise you that is where like the liberation lies because if you're constantly avoiding that discomfort and that obstacle you're always bobbing and weaving you're that's like the obstacle is the way unfortunately oh god brian holiday Yeah, dude. You know what I mean? You have to go through that. And like, that's where you teach yourself. You can take one on the chin and you're like, oh, I don't have a glass jaw. I'm still alive. I'm still okay. Okay. Now, now you just broke through that glass ceiling. And the more you do that, you know, the more elevating you can get in your personal development and the deeper you can go into figuring your shit out. Um, yeah. So just like, it's um i don't know if you know alex formosi at all yeah yeah i i always love how he says you know when you're lying in your deathbed 80 years old or when you die like no one no one cares just no one cares so just be yourself anyways like and like when i heard that i'm like oh yeah like why do like why do i actually care yeah life goes on yeah like to so it might as well just be who you are instead of always trying to be who everyone else wants you to be exactly because like you're gonna have the most genuine authentic relationships when you are exactly who you are and like the world wants you like you not the this you know messed up version of you exactly. and then the people who aren't about it will weed themselves out anyways like you're it's like a two it's a win-win <laughs> you know what i mean the, the ones that will get magnetized and the ones that aren't will go away it's scary it sucks but like it's totally worth it mario i i now understand why kayla picked you um to be our next coach because you're definitely an individual who just gets it as far as you know not only how to be a genuine person but to be someone who is not afraid to not only be themselves but to face the darkness and be able to go through it and understand that this is life. It's going to be hell, but Hey, you can't run from it. You got to face it head on. And if I know myself and what I would want from a coach, I would want to know that my coach went through hell because they're human just like me. And you know, that's one of the best things to look for in somebody as a coach and a teacher is, you know, not to have them be this person that puts themselves up on a pedestal that they're untouchable, that they're, you know, imperfect and that they were absolutely you know, have nothing wrong with them when in fact we're all human beings uh, and we all make mistakes. We all go through shit. So I want to say I appreciate you so much for telling your story, for being vulnerable today and 
really letting us know who Mario is. And I can definitely tell us, definitely tell you, we are blessed to have you on the Evolve team, dude. Absolutely blessed and absolutely stoked that you're going to be on our team and be on our corner and helping a shit ton of people that we work with. You know, I'm super, super excited for you, man. Thanks, man. I, I received that fully and uh, thank you. I also feel very lucky to be here. So thanks for allowing me to open up. Always, man. Mario, do you have a quote that you wanted to end with that sums up everything we've talked about today that could inspire our audience? What would that quote be? Yeah. Stand by it. Because it's a little long, but it's totally worth it. Okay, I'm, I'm down for it. I actually learned this from one of my clinicians in rehab and it has always stuck with me. So it's a quote by, can you still see me by the way? No, but that's okay. <laughs> so it's a quote by Timothy Keller and it says, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved well is a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. That's an incredible quote. I absolutely love that. Mic drop. Let's <laughs> <laughs> do When I heard that, I was like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> can't agree like that like that like didn't mean to my soul um so i've never forgotten it but yeah awesome dude i absolutely love that and hope that our audience takes that to heart as well hey guys be yourself live life as you because otherwise someone else is going to live your life for you mm-hmm. awesome mario thank you so much for being on the podcast i can't wait to see all the awesome things you're going to do here with us at evolve can't wait to get after some bodybuilding with you here in the next couple of weeks. We're going to get shredded, dude. Uh, you're going to get me ready for my wedding. Uh, <laughs> so, But everyone who's been listening, Mario is one of our newest coaches at Evolve. If you'd like to learn more about Mario, Mario, where can they find you on Instagram? Um, my handle is D'Amico Strength. So that's D-A-M-I-C-O Strength, all lowercase, all lowercase. If you guys are interested in working with Mario, please be sure to hit us up at Evolve underscore HP and submit an application or go straight to Mario's page and submit an application there as well. If you haven't put it in, Jen will tell you to do it soon. Okay, so thank you so much, everyone, for stopping by. As always, for the best in becoming the best version of yourself and the Evolved athlete, please stay tuned to all future episodes. And if interested, make sure you submit that application down in our bio. This has been Coach P and Mario, and we'll see you in the next one. If you like today's episode, please be sure to drop a like, share it with all your friends, and give us a great review on Apple Podcasts. If you want to work with the best in the business, please be sure to head over to all of our social media web pages at Evolve Health and Performance. Us at Evolve are trying to make you the best athlete of all time and realize your full potential. Stay tuned for all future episodes where we bring you the best guests and features for everything health, fitness, and wellness. For everything Evolve, stay tuned. Coach P's out.